0: Hello and welcome to the Screen Composer Studio, a podcast about the musical storytellers behind some of your favorite films, shows, video games, and more. I'm your host, Adrian Ellis. Originally from the Netherlands, Ludwig Voss's approach to making music is very much his own. One half of the scoring duo Menelon with Joseph Murray, the Canadian Film Centre grad has worked on TV shows such as Digstown on CBC, documentaries including HBO's The Slow Hustle, Mr. Tachyon for Vice TV, as well as films like Level 16 and The Void. We talk about the wild new instrument slash effects box he's building, His roots playing rock in the Netherlands, but being more interested in the effects pedals than the guitar, starting as an in-house composer for MTV, his move to Toronto and the difference between European and Canadian mindsets, his world-traveling, site-specific modular synth explorations, committing completely but then throwing out film-scoring concepts and hours of work, dealing with anxiety and fear, rejecting hustle culture, and sound as healing. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a rating and sharing the episodes with your friends and followers. It really helps us grow and share the stories of these amazing creators. And now, please enjoy this wonderfully candid conversation with Ludwig Voss. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> so what's kind of cool about this is we're... Uh, the last one... Oh no, the one before last. So actually, I don't know what the order is now. But uh, Jonathan Kochuk, we did uh, At My Place... And that was the first ever of this podcast that we ever did in person, because it was a pandemic project. And this one is the first I'm ever going to do in another composer's studio. Welcome. And uh, I can't think of a more interesting. Like I came in here, I just feel like I'm coming into a, uh, a a toy shop. Honestly, like it's I'm just looking around like a like a kid. Honestly, and I'm just like, what's this? What's that? Um, and one of the coolest things I was sort of looking at this desk that you've got, and. I don't know what it is and you were like, "Oh, this is the big project. Can you sort of talk a little bit about that or is that still a big top secret thing?"
1: No, there's no secrets. Um I'm i I got my I gave myself a project this year and I'm building an instrument for myself mostly to do interesting sound design stuff. Right. And um so it's basically a uh cello and a uh, guitar uh, neck with a whole bunch of pedals built in and a whole bunch of uh, modular synth modules built and they're all feeding into each other into loop pedals and I'm thinking to come up with very interesting sounds, but it might not work.
0: <laughs> what, what I'm looking at is you have to sort of imagine like a small mixing desk shape uh, made purely out of MDF as a sort of prototype right now. And it's got like just everything sort of placed on top of it right now as a, as a means of sort of figuring out what the space is going to be dimensions, what the routing might be. So you've got the in MDF with the tuning pegs in. You've got the bridge and the, the, um, all the bindings are sort of there. And then there's a few knobs Uh, which I don't think I know what they're going to be for. And then you've got all the... You've really committed um, a large amount of real estate. And I think, obviously, you've committed a lot of money to this already because there's some very nice boutique pedals that are sitting on this thing. They're going to be completely integrated into this unit, and that's going to be their life.
1: Yes, they're going to be sunken in here, and they're going to live here, and there's nowhere else where I will use them.
0: What, How did this come to you? Like, where, Where does this kind of an idea, to go this far... With something to commit to this route because this is a really singular thing. Where does that? How does that idea come to your mind?
1: Okay, I, I started off as a guitar player, but I was always better at pedals than at guitar. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, so I've I've always been making ambient music with all kinds of interesting pedals, and that that really jived with me mm-hmm. from the beginning. Right. And. Um, just things like, oh, you see a violin hanging there. I cannot play a violin, but I love to grab a violin and just go through a bunch of pedals, come up with very interesting squeaks and screeches and all that stuff. And I do that often, and it's a lot of setting up. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to have one instrument where I do that only. Yeah. Okay, if you look around in my studio, it's that, and then I have a modular corner and a synth corner, and mm-hmm. I love to have little stations. And I have my computer, and they all... Face out, so away I can never see computer. my screen. Right. And I love to have these little stations. Like This station is where I do my sound design. Yes. I plus rec, and I do that. Okay. And then for the modular stuff, all the synth stuff, I do that. And I don't look at the computer. I look away from that. Same for the synth stuff. And I kind of love to have these little stations
0: and they're always tied in right like you've got them ready to go at any given everything point. Is, is
1: looped in yeah yep. which
0: is a real daniel Lenoir. i mean if i've ever heard of that as a producer role kind of thing he's always got his everything in the studio is like a little station he even calls them stations ties everything in that way and so whenever you've got an idea you're just ready to go you don't have to you don't have to go okay <laughs> great idea let me patch everything up now and, and get get to it
1: yeah because that's a huge problem the amount of times that I don't do something because there's not a battery in a paddle or I don't have like, where, where was the adapter for this thing (laughs) I want to use? And then the, and then the magic is gone and I'm done. Yeah. And then there's, I mean, there's a, you're going
0: very many steps. Like, I mean, if you look at the Euro rack, if you look at this new thing that you're developing, Um, There's a considerable outlay of cash and commitment to a certain, like, this is the way I'm, these are the things, the tools I'm going to use. So you've kind of created a box in which you're going to work. Does tying in or, like, committing to that ever make you wonder, am I limiting myself in some way? Or is it always something where, like, if something new comes up, then you'll go in that direction?
1: No, it's very freeing for me. Mm. You have the most freedom within borders. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's endless amount of plugins. And you can do everything on the computer. Yeah. But
0: I don't do it. You don't do it. You, you never get started because there's too much choice. Yeah. Or I get okay.
1: started, but I don't get deep enough. And with these kind of things, that to, yeah, to me, they give me a lot of freedom. Also, they give me the freedom to fuck up. Okay. And the beauties and the mistakes. And with patching cables, always goes wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that's, right. that's why you find you're like, oh, but wait a minute. What if? And then move on from there.
0: Right. Do you find your brain works differently and you come to different solutions because you're not on the computer? Like, is getting away?
1: 100%. Yeah. 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 And it's that weird thing of like you're under the shower thinking about a sound and that I can think about a physical sound, how I could make that on a physical instrument. Yeah. I do not think, what if I open up this plugin and then that one? That just does, there's not a thing that happens. Hmm.
0: That's interesting. They they say that uh, looking at type on a screen. Because it's made up of the individual pixels, is different than looking at a printed uh, letter form of the same type, even if it's exactly the same type. You're going to read it differently. It's somehow going to enter your mind in a different way. You're not going to see it or respond to it, I guess,
1: the same way. Yeah, and even the (laughs) the touch of a knob and Mm -hmm. and how much resistance it has, the smell. I can smell my old practice room in Amsterdam 15 years ago in some of these effects. And wow. It's like, it's like it brings me back to like yeah. oh yeah I was I was playing with this 20 years ago and
0: That's such an interesting point I never actually thought about that but like you are building sense memory into every piece of equipment that you're touching every every instrument has a sense memory to it and it does even that smell right like when you open up an old guitar case yeah. It has an enormous smell to it. It's wonderful. And then you go, I remember all these times and where we were and the things that happened and that cat pissed in my guitar case and now it smells like that forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have that with a computer. You, do all, you have all these, man, we, this is such a crazy thing. We spend so much time with this machine that is our digital audio workstation. It's like most of our life is spent inside this thing. 100%. And it doesn't create memories in the same way.
1: No. If you're very lucky, it will, it will remember how to open up a session from two years ago. <laughs> There's something
0: about looking at your space too, and just the whole vibe of it and and these stations and even uh, there's something about the physical look of it that reminds me of a painter's box right they the The old sort of like um landscape painters would have these boxes where they would open up in the bottom is all your paints and your palette and your and your brushes and everything and then on the top is a is a sort of like de facto easel, and you set up a stand and you look at the landscape and you paint and this makes me think of this project that you've been working on or that you've worked on in the past where you actually visited locations around the world and used your modular primarily to sort of create your uh, impressions of that. You said, like, How did that come about? That must have been... A, was that like uh, an impetus that you just sort of had? Was it built into uh, like travels that you were already uh, on? Or was it like, this is a project I'm going to develop in a specific way?
1: It did evolve like everything does. It It kind of started off with... I actually bought a couple of, like if you, um, you can see the whole thing on YouTube and if you watch them, it was actually one travel beginning to end. But if you watch them, you see the, the modular growing.
0: Uh, like it, like
1: it started off with me buying a couple of modules and playing around with it. And I was like, if I film this, I have a reason to do this. Okay. So it's a good way of like learning how this thing works. Right. Works for me. Yeah. And so that was the first one. That was in Montreal. And then I was for two months in Los Angeles. I did two videos there. And then I went to Japan, China, Philippines and Thailand. Mm-hmm. And what I basically did was I ended up trying to find vast open spaces and sit there, be inspired and play towards what I'm seeing. hmm. And what you exactly what you are what actually explaining I've never thought about it but it's a it was landscape painting. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. I wanted to paint what I see. Yeah. It was an amazing project. It was so much time though. And
0: okay, so and it does it is a very painterly sound and it was interesting because watching those I sort of got a better sense of I think your general approach because I was thinking of it more in a musical sense like as in like how would I describe Lowe's approach to things? Uh, in a musical like a definition of like music but it almost feels like no it's got more to do with painting uh, than it really does with like traditional musical composition in a lot of ways um, because it has those washes it has large strokes it's you're sort of developing something and a sound as it comes out were you okay so and i really invite everyone to check this out um on youtube what's the youtube channel is it just uh so that one is low ambient but low ambient the uh, i think the, the channel is just your name though right it's your full name
1: Yeah, yes like foss okay
0: check it out because it's really the videos are actually quite nice too and and they show you in lo- on location which is really interesting to sort of see you performing live did you practice the pieces before or is it just like i got this idea i'm gonna run with it
1: i would at home set up a first patch okay. on the modular because i yeah. t- kind of t- took some time yeah and then I would go there, and I the, the actual recording is two hours. Okay. And wow. I do a cut down. Okay. <laughs> so I would just sit wow. and just play for a very long time. Yeah. And then make a cut down out of it. Also, there's multiple camera angles, and I didn't bring five cameras. That was yeah. Too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so each pass has a different uh, angle. You just set the camera up differently. For exactly. Oh, yeah. That's so cool.
1: And that way I could I could edit. Right. Yeah.
0: And you say you're the, the Eurorack is growing. Are you having things shipped to where you think you're going to be? Like, how are you gathering Eurorack modules while you're on the road?
1: No, that was only because I went to Los Angeles. Okay. And, and that, right. the whole, there's easy to get there. And then I yeah. stopped. And then you stopped, right? Yeah. So
0: it was like, I have a reason to buy all this cool stuff. And then you went on the road. That's really interesting. And when did you do this? What year was this?
1: 2019, just before, before the pandemic. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah. Did it change your approach to anything that you're doing for film and TV?
1: No, it. How do I say this? It, it's the next level. It's 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 it, it. All lives in the same world. Mm. I need to do this. I. Uh, but to me, this is a score to a film. Okay. It's, it ain't anything. It's not anything different.
0: Right. Okay. And the character is the landscape. You're you're responding to something.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. It's this exactly the same way how I would respond to a film.
0: Okay. So when you're working on a film, let's say... I mean, here you don't have a director. You don't have anybody putting ideas in your head or saying, no. I want this to be represented. You're just having a pure response. Do you feel that that's sort of the way that you work to picture? Like that you that something in the film that you watch, like the actual uh, film production itself, is the thing that you are responding to? That is the sort yeah. of first impulse method that you're getting your ideas from?
1: Yeah. I, I, I also... If anything possible, I always ask for stills of what the color correction is going to be. Okay. Because to me, the color and the the pace of edit is really important. Right. Pace of edit is super important. That's a
0: really good point about color because color can sometimes make things much warmer or colder than they originally appear. Yeah. And and the flat kind of um, uncorrected raw footage is oftentimes characterless. It doesn't have an opinion yet yeah and your music's definitely going to respond to that yeah that's yeah. interesting. Do you work from scripts ever do you do you go before uh film or do you really need to respond to what is happening in terms of the rhythm of the edit and everything else
1: everything in between i've I've, I've been working from script often I got a couple of scripts over here um, mm-hmm. and uh uh I've been working from scripts often it's just i've had i've I've had the experiences of, of of working on something and then the color correction comes back and you are like, that's not what I want oh no. It's not. Wow. I would, because it it's it, it's not about notes or melody, but it's like color and grit. Yeah, are very close to me. Sure. Like I I think like that's where the glue is.
0: Color and grit. Yeah. Okay.
1: I I, I like to see a, a, a more finalized version, um, but I also love to just throw out ideas mm-hmm. in the beginning, just from a script.
0: Right. Have you ever come across something or a, a moment where you tried that, you had a very strong idea from the script stage, imagining what's going to happen in your head and feeling very strongly about your response to the script and then you see what they've done and you're like, nothing. Not even close.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It was one film, I, I, I work uh, a lot together under the name Manalon with Joseph Murray mm-hmm. and we were working together on a film and we read the script, I think it, it was even the first edit, it was. We read the script. We saw a first edit, and then we were like, "This is totally gonna be like Godspeed You Black Emperor." That that like long drawn guitar stuff. And we were like both separately from each other. We were right. like,
0: "Yeah." Same conclusion.
1: Same conclusion. Yeah. And then two edits further, and we just threw everything out that we wrote. Of like, no, absolutely, what we were thinking. It's like <laughs> it happens. It happens. Do you get. Uh, is it hard for you to throw stuff out? No.
0: You don't you don't have any problem with that, um, yeah. Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna try not to get ahead of myself because this is getting into process stuff. But yeah, I am I only can sort of imagine what your process is right now because I've never actually seen you do it. I don't know what the layers are, but I would imagine that like, you know, for me everything is so movable in a lot of ways because it has to do. I'm more my my thing is really about harmony, uh, and texture is part of that, but it's almost like a last layer, so I, that's very changeable. Um, And harmony can be moved, harmony can be changed, you know, and it can always be, it's much quicker for, in a a sense, you know. And I wonder about the way that you work, like the developmental process of all these different sounds and how, as you say, like to get those initial shots set up with the Eurorack, you're patching something, it takes a long time.
1: Yeah, but it's, if it's either melody or texture, if you just make it, say it in a very easy way, it's both a lot of work. Mm. And our job is not to be precious, True. with what we're doing right and I kind of love with doing stuff out of the computer that <laughs> what I do I'm tied into if a director's like I don't like it can you change it nope I cannot but I can make something new because like in MIDI I can change the melody yes but if there's something with all these paddles like that's it's it is what it is
0: do you do you uh, have conversations with your collaborators ahead of time to say this is the process You've hired us, we're going to work like this, this is how it goes, so be prepared.
1: <laughs> I've never been to the point that it, that it became a problem.
0: Okay, so they, they, when you say, I can't change it, I can do something different, happy to work with it, just, it's not going to be the same thing because after...
1: Whole, my whole idea is if they don't like it, they don't like it. Right. So then I'll do some, what about this? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to actually literally say no, I'm just going to be... Right. Let's, let me throw you three other ideas.
0: But if they just like, if they like the basic idea and they just want it tweaked a little bit and you're like,
1: then, <laughs> then we get into a, more problematic things. I've only had it once that a, a director really, and, 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 but then it becomes about melody mm. they be, and then we come really deep into the melody part. Right. More like changing notes. Okay. There was There's no fun there.
0: Right. You're just, you're a glorified button pusher at that point
1: exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and we were gonna get players in and then we're like no here's the midi file. This okay. is what you want right then it's all in the box and right because if you're gonna get your players in then next week yeah the melody has to change again you commit yeah okay.
0: yeah you mentioned 15 years ago your studio smells in the netherlands <laughs> so let's go back there um tell me a little bit about like where you grew up and what your life was like early on and, and how music sort of came into it.
1: Um, I grew up in the Netherlands in um, a village like 30 kilometers outside of Amsterdam. And I grabbed a guitar when I was 16 years old and fell in love with it. The standard route. Just mm-hmm. Played in bands, did all that jazz, lots of fun. hmm and that 's kind of where I figured out that I, that i what I said earlier like i I loved playing with the pedals I started playing with loop pedals. I was a, a huge fan of uh uh the Brian Enum and Robert Fripp stuff mm-hmm. they're endless loops yeah and and it's still i'm super inspired by that, so I was doing that a lot and and that's kind of how I started. Mm. Getting into ambient music. I didn't know what it was, but... Place me
0: in time here. What year would this be when you're sort of picking up a guitar, 16 years old?
1: This is late 90s. Late 90s. Early, okay, early 2000s. So
0: post-grunge, getting into like, I don't know, what's the early 2000s? What kind of music is sort of super popular at that point in, in Amsterdam? For, for
1: me, it was uh, the band's like Sonic Youth. Okay. Blixas band. What is it? Einstürz Neubauten. I don't even know, know how to say it.
0: <laughs> yeah, Einstürz und Neubauten. Those guys. Collapsing Buildings.
1: That, that kind of stuff. That was really inspiring for me
0: Yeah, around that time. And, okay, so you're playing in a band called Satellite 7. Yeah. How would you describe their music? Indie pop. Indie pop. And yeah. is that around the same time or is that a little That's bit the after? the same time, yeah. And they're really good. Like, check them out on uh, on, on um, Spotify. It's It's really solid. And you guys actually had quite a bit of success with them, right? You were touring with KRS-One, NERD, Interpol you know all these people with that band right
1: uh we weren't we weren't touring but we 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 played at the same uh, okay uh, the, uh same nights right uh the the nyd was was amazing it was actually their after party at our night okay wow and we didn't know that which was an amazing what? thing yeah <laughs> yeah yeah wow uh and this was and they were pretty small back then yeah this uh, is before so N.E.R.D. was just getting up right and uh and it was a uh, Two, three hundred people in the venue. It was a small venue. It was super fun.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is super cool. Yeah. So, and you're playing in this band, Indie Pop, you know, and you're a guitar player at that point? Or you I'm a guitar keyboards? player, yeah,
1: and keyboard in another band.
0: Yeah. Keyboard in another band, yeah. right. And so you kind of had a picture at that point. This isn't what I'm going to be doing. It's fun, but I want to go in a different route musically.
1: Uh, At that time, I wanted to become a rock star. Okay. Everybody else. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) wanted that. Yeah. Yes. Um, It was, like, the the switch happened um, when I got my first laptop that could run a DAW, and uh, I got Fruity Loops and started making beats, and then um, I did a bunch of trip-hop tracks, and... For some reason, a Japanese label got a hold of it through MySpace back in the days and brought it out in Japan. And then there was this German company that had heard those tracks and asked me to score their animation film, short animation. Okay, yeah. And I was like, yes, it sounds great. So (laughs) how does this work? Right. Um, And I did that animation and uh, it played quite a lot of festivals and did pretty well. And then um, with that resume, I got a job at MTV and did all the bumpers. So, all the in between stuff, right? Those weird, flashy. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I did that for two and a half years.
0: Yeah, in house composer for MTV. Now, is this, this is in the Netherlands, right? So, yeah. it's MTV Netherlands? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Nordic, I think. Nordic, all right. Yeah. So, you've got that whole realm. Yeah. Was that like a day job? Did you actually go to their office and work oh, yeah. for, for them yeah. with your laptop? just ma- You must have thought you hit the jackpot at that point.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. It was, and still, it's, it's right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it was at the MTV Studios, and uh, there were two composers, me and uh, Dennis Alfares, and we both had our own studio in there, and we're working all day making bumpers, but the fun thing about them is they kind of have their own in-house ad agencies okay so we were scoring all their advertisements as well oh wow so when I moved to Canada afterwards I kind of had a nice resume of all these brands that I worked for oh, because I was an in-house composer. Hey, right, right, right. And the Comedy Central thing, Nickelodeon, is sort of a part of all all that whole. It's all the same era? network. And then there is interesting. And there was uh, T.M.F., which is the equivalent for much music here. Right. So those those four channels all uh, were in the same building.
0: Huh. Apart from the technical side of it, like just learning how to get music to picture. Uh, understanding, like you know, what how to I guess deal with clients, like briefs, all that kind of stuff, like sort of the basic stuff. What were the biggest takeaways from those times when you were working in in that as an in-house composer for them?
1: Never miss a deadline. Okay. And be fast. Be fast. Yeah. So it was just about was, speed. You get really, fast. really fast. It was really right. fast, and uh, yeah, there was uh, there was no time for not delivering.
0: (laughs) Was there anyone in that, uh, in that realm or that time that was sort of a mentor to you or someone that you sort of looked to, to get your questions answered? Or were you kind of just scrambling to figure stuff out?
1: I was part of the creative team. Mm -hmm. So my, my, my mentor was, was the creative director. Okay.
0: Uh, Older person, younger person.
1: He was in his thirties. Okay. It was a pretty young company, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But knew what, He was doing, obviously, and and had some experience in that and was sort of able to guide you through. Yeah, everybody
1: that worked there definitely uh, Hmm. had chops. Yeah. It was was a nice crew. It was a good crew to be working with.
0: Were you developing a sound of your own and sort of, because, you know, like, I actually don't know that much, about. I never watched a lot of MTV. I watched a lot of Much Music, which is a Canadian equivalent, obviously. And they certainly had, like, visual style. They had a a sonic style that they developed. like It was very much like you could tell what you were watching. Was MTV Nordic kind of like that? Did they have a, a? Did you sort of develop a style with them, or were you again like so many people that have gone through this uh, grind in advertising, where you're just like now, now you're doing a big band thing, now you're doing, you know, a hardcore
1: song, now you're doing, you know, post punk or whatever. On the ad side, it was absolutely that. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely all over the place. Right. Um, the station stuff. The Station is a station and it has its own identity and you have to be true to that. Identity. Yeah. So uh, I think that's a good thing that I, that I learned there. Right. How to stay true to an identity over a channel. And
0: right. So you have a consistency over time, despite sort of certain things changing, you're like, okay, I know how to adjust to this, but still give you what you're looking for. And,
1: yeah. And, and yeah.
0: being able to figure out all the different ways that this, this one thing ties together.
1: Yeah, and, and, I, and I still thing. look in, it, it's still really important to me for, like if, if I score a film, I am always, the, the way I call it is I'm always looking for the sonic identity of this film. Yeah, How does this film sound different yeah. than all the other films? Right. Because, yeah, we can all come up with the romantic theme and uh, <laughs> and the aggressive theme, but it's all the same. Right. So how is this film different?
0: Right. Okay. So when you're working on something like a film, okay, so we've got let's say 90 minutes on average, you've got the individual cues, you've got your sonic experiments, you've got how you're responding to certain things, you've got different moments in the film, you've got characterizations, all these different things. How do you track the development of your music over that 90-minute span, figure out the dynamics, where we should be at any given moment, and then tie it all together and make sure that
1: that sonic identity is maintained? Very deep question. I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to figure (laughs) out where. Um... I think the sonic identity is something I come up with before I start scoring. Okay. It's almost like uh, like every band has its own players. Yep. Like I kind of want to know what the players Who are. Who the players are, right. And, and what they sound like. Yeah. And then I start painting. Okay.
0: Are you methodical? Like is it a very methodical process where you have like like a v- sort of chart or something where you're going, okay, this here, this there, and then sort of written out. And do you have like a 30,000 foot view of the whole score over time going back and sort of standing back from everything and going, where am I at right now? No, it's feel. It's
1: feel. It's it's just, feel it's very
0: uh, yeah. intuitive. Okay.
1: Yeah. And it's always different, but if there's time and in the most perfect scenario, I kind of start from the biggest cue yeah. and then start working backwards from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I find it really important to multiple times print out the film, throw it on the television and sit down and watch the whole film beginning to Okay, end. yeah. Because that's where you can really see sure. where a cue is working. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's really like a, a cue is a cue, but where the cue starts and what cue is before it and after it is just as important to that one cue as the actual cue itself. Mm-hmm. And how long of a silence is there in between them? Right. And you can only see that if you see the whole film.
0: Right. How long on average does it, or do you have, or do you take to score a feature film?
1: Anything from two years to four days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I said average. Okay. So those are the extremes. Two years, extraordinarily long. Four days, impossibly short. Yeah. Uh, average, like the, the norm. What would you expect normally? Or is there, is there truly no norm?
1: I'm always surprised that there's no norm. Okay, I've never seen the same thing. I normally say I don't know six to eight weeks. Okay, for a feature. That's nice. That sounds about nice. Good.
0: Yeah, that's a good that's a good time. <laughs> okay, so then uh, what I'm interested in is because you said you know you figure out the sonic identity of the of the film before you start scoring, which I take to mean getting into the nitty gritty of doing the scenes, writing the cues. How long do you take for that process? Uh, either as a matter, let, let, let's say you've got six weeks, how long are you sitting there without touching the film and just working on the sonic identity? Uh,
1: this, is, this is, again, like... like it depends. It, it totally depends. Okay. And, 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 and some movies that go straight in and other yeah. movies, not at all. Okay. Um, but uh, m- let's say my, my favorite way of doing it is is I would take one to two weeks to sound design.
0: Of six weeks total scoring, one to two weeks of sound design development, getting yeah, your ideas yeah. in there.
1: And by then it's called up a number. Got it. Then I know the film. And so- then it's like, then you have, you have some themes, and some themes are melodic, some themes are pure sound. Yeah. Uh, and then it's called up a number, and that goes really quick.
0: So you don't have any anxiety about taking that time away from the picture? Because I know a lot of people. Um, or let's let's put it differently. People, composers that I know who are newer to the game or less experienced, feel a tremendous amount of anxiety at the beginning of a project when they're not working on a cue and they're not actually getting stuff done and saying, "I did four minutes on the film today." And they're and you're and I'm always saying, take the time in the beginning to get the palette down.
1: Take the time in the beginning to figure out the path through this thing. I'm 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 always very surprised by everybody uh, you, you hear in the scene so much the amount of minutes you write per day yeah it's uh, a <laughs> it's a thing that I don't I don't really understand right uh, maybe because I don't work that way right but it's like yeah you can write a lot of minutes but were they productive what are, did you do revisions what mm. I, I don't I don't understand that, that, that idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm assuming
0: you don't feel any anxiety in those early weeks when you're not actually attacking the, the film and saying, look, I've got this much to go. We've got four weeks left. Oh my God, the deadline's coming up. I need to get X amount written before this time. Blah, blah, blah.
1: Yeah. Okay. But, uh, I always have anxiety, so that doesn't change. Oh. <laughs> right. yeah. um, I want to know what I'm doing before I'm doing. Okay. So uh, it's a form of procrastination. Or, okay. Really? But, but it's also, an, but, but I, I really get somewhere in that right. i know that yeah so it's not
0: really procrastination
1: no <laughs> but it is. Okay. no it is because i yeah in the back of your mind th- there is that thing of like oh i could i could do this i could i could start scoring this I could. yeah but i feel so often that i as soon as i if i if i jump in too quickly mm. i'm gonna do the same thing that i did last film got it right so you're but looking for that
0: ago. that thing where it's like we got it this is it
1: what yeah yeah okay and then get the director on board, and then go. Lately, what I've been doing is just write uh, eight to twelve minute pieces, and send that to the director, and be like, "What?"
0: Not not tied to picture, just to not answer. at all.
1: Okay. No, it's right. like this is the this is the hardest part of the film. Nice film, and this is the softest part of the film. Okay. What do you think?
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, when and why do you end up in Canada?
1: Two thousand and nine. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Amsterdam. It was lovely. Uh, but me and my partner back in the day, we just wanted to broaden our horizon. And we had friends, f- close friends that were from Toronto and they moved back. We visited them and both kind of fell in love with the city. The scene, There's it's such a great art scene. Uh, there's so much film here. Uh, the Netherlands is amazing. Also has a great film scene, but it's small. Mm. It's 16 million people that speak Dutch. All right so less opportunity more people doing the same things over and over again yeah yeah so this sounded like a logical this felt like a logical step to right move forward in this business
0: and was it tough getting to Toronto and trying to get yourself established did it take a long time was it sort of uh an intimidating thing to try and get your head into and and sort of become a part of the scene well I started at
1: doing what most how most people start out I feel so I started off with advertisement in Toronto in Toronto yeah yeah and that um
0: is that with joseph or on your own
1: that was on my own okay. yeah yeah and at world i figured out there was this weird thing going on which was i should not tell this but there was this weird thing going on where people in the ad agencies loved me because I was from europe apparently there is some kind of a Aesthetic to that, yeah. And then people in the Netherlands love me because they went to North America. I must have made it. So it was like I played the card on both. Oh, that's it's, great. That's well, there's I no shame in that. <laughs> I mean, like that's the way it is. They,
0: you, you got cachet. That's that's what you are always looking for. That and it uh, it definitely helped. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, so there there was a, there's an advantage to saying, you know, showing up and having the accent and being like, hey, I'm European, and I got that whole thing going on.
1: There is an advantage, I feel. Yeah, which is weird. But it's a it's a thing.
0: Okay, so let's. I mean, I grew up in Germany. Uh, I'm Canadian-born, um, so I have a sense of like to me. There's a very there are a lot of big differences between uh, Canada, Canada, North America, and Europe in terms of culture, like just the way people uh, approach life. And I'm sure, like I was, I, I left when I was eight, so I didn't really get an appreciation of like what it might be like to be an artist there or to do. Um, to be creative, I just know that from uh, Canada, from both sides of the coast. So I've been, I've done it in Vancouver, I've done it in Toronto, and I, there's certainly a big difference between those coasts. Like completely different ways of uh, operating. And although you know Toronto has an, has a, a reputation for being angry, uh, I also feel like everyone just wanted to get stuff done here. Yeah, uh, and it was so fun. Uh, we're in Hamilton now, of course, so it's a slight, it's a totally different scene again. <laughs> so, what what's your take on that? Like, what did you th- what did you get a sense of in terms of the differences, uh, life culturally, socially, and creatively?
1: The, uh, people work hard here, but the Dutch work hard as well. It's weird. It's different. Uh, the Dutch really love their their time off and appreciate that. Uh, and here, people keep on going. I feel. But I also found that really exciting, because shit gets done. Mm-hmm. That to me was a, was a was a big difference when I came and saw how the business worked. Right. In itself. Yeah. Big cultural. Yeah, I can go into all kinds of cultural differences, but that's a, that's the. A, <laughs> that's the big one. Y- yeah. For me, creatively, okay, this is, and this is a bizarre thing of saying, the Netherlands fits twenty times in Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> it has half the population of Canada. Yeah. It's small. And people think small. As in there, I was always playing in bands. And they were like, okay, but do you make your money playing in bands? And I was back in the days working as a social worker. So I was like, no, I'm a social worker. Oh, so you're a social worker. Like, <laughs> you're not in bands. Right. And that difference no. here where you're like, I'm playing in a touring band and I'm a barista when I'm not touring. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Go Interesting. Okay, And that opens your mind and gives you so much more freedom to like, no, I, I can be what I want to be instead of somebody else always telling you that right. you're not. Okay. And
0: so you've spent time in Los Angeles now as well. Do you feel like that's another step towards this idea of like, because uh, I feel like, The Americans do certain things really well. They do other things very poorly. But certainly one thing they do really well is this idea of like uh, creating uh, a sort of culture around the idea that your dreams can come true and you can if you pursue it and work hard enough. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that, too. But let's just say the idea of like they think big. That's you cannot argue with that idea that the Americans know how to dream big and make it whatever you're going to do, do it 110 make it huge 100 yeah,
1: the percent. Ameri- the, the americans have have it way bigger than the canadians do right but it, it it is in the same realm yes uh so from me seeing this this is a big step yeah. i i have a feeling that yeah in, in the states they take that extra step yeah but it comes with some
0: so step. you felt that when you came to canada and you sort of started like be uh, around people who were working here you felt like that idea of where you could take your potential opened up for you yeah that's really and,
1: interesting. And, 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 it, and it might be inside my own head. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by the Screen Composers Guild of Canada, whose mission includes promoting the music, status, and rights of film, television, and media composers in Canada. Special thanks to the SoCAN Foundation for financial support. For more information on the SCGC, please visit screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at tscs at screencomposers.ca. And now back to our show. Okay, what's one thing you feel Canadians could take from the Dutch way of doing things?
1: Um, the the boasting about the amount of hours of work that happens. Okay in our in our scene. Right. I think that's a, a thing that's not good.
0: Explain that to me. Oh, so you're saying w- the Canadians have a problem with boasting about overwork, whereas in in yeah, In the Netherlands, you'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs>
1: this yeah, is stupid. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. A, a good example of that is um, I heard of an American girl that worked for a Dutch ad agency. Mm-hmm. And she worked there until 10 p.m. every day, like she did. And her um, boss came up to her and was like, Are you good? Can you? <laughs> because it looks like you can't do your job. Oh, my God. She's wow. She's like, what do you mean? And she's he's like, well, you, you're paid nine to six. Yeah. You're here until 10. So I think you're not good at doing your job. Oh, my God. Uh, and <laughs> that, that perspective. Wow. Very interesting. And it's
0: so true. God, she must have gone home in tears. She's like, I thought I was doing something good. Yeah,
1: I did all the overwork, but but, wow. but was it effective? Was it effective, right. Did you really? Yeah. You, you could be able to do it. Like, It's not about the amount of hours you put in. It's no. about how, how good are the hours that you work.
0: Right. So when we were talking about this earlier, um, one of the things you said, like, in the beginning, it's necessary.
1: Why do you think we have this
0: persistent and pervasive uh, chronic problem with... Hustle culture and overwork right
1: now—that just comes with the with the fact that it's really hard to get into this job, and there is a million other people that want to do it. Right. So I think in the beginning you have it, it's hard, and you have to do it yeah. uh, to pay your rent.
0: Or is it that you have to do it so much in the beginning to get good enough that people will, or that you can do it as quickly as you can, or you can you can you don't have to grind as much. Yeah. Yeah. Where's the where's the line? How do you know? Like, what's the right amount of, like, work? Or is there, is there, like, okay, let's say we're starting out. Like, you and I are just getting our feet, like, we just landed here. And now we're trying to get started in this business. How do you, where do you draw the line? Like, what's too much? What's too little? Like, how much energy do you put into it? Where do you say, like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen any friends for, like, a year because all I do is work. Um, What's the how do you how do you work, how do you how do you figure that out for someone who's starting out let's say it's
1: i i i, I haven't figured that out i, I and and I, I seriously think about that often. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, I love to hang out on forums with like up and coming composers i find it very interesting like i think you you just have to put you have to put in your hours and you have to do your work to, to yeah. get to the point where you get
0: mhm do you see a kind of 80 20 principle in this whole thing where it's like okay we're you're going to put in the work but you're going to put it into the right place right like there I, I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to who, for years, grind was grinding. And eventually, they sort of figured out, oh, this isn't necessary. They, they, they basically had better work hygiene. They cleaned up their act, and they said, you know what? Actually, I'm getting way more done in these six hours if I really focus on the stuff that matters. And then when I start to burn out at the end of the day, after those six hours, eight hours, whatever it is, I stop. And I go and sit outside for a bit or I have a nice meal and I hang out with my family and I'm like living my life, come back the next day completely refreshed. I've had a good sleep. All my problems are soft because I let my brain work on it overnight uh, while I'm sleeping and getting refreshed. And they all admitted that in the time before when they were just grinding, there were six, those six hours were still the six hours. But instead, two more uh, six hours were added on top to make 18 where they just sat in front of the computer and just sat in front of the computer and did nothing essentially because it wasn't effective because they were just like no i have to be here or else someone will take my cheese or whatever
1: it is you know (laughs) i think that's a a very big thing it's scary it's scary to like i have to produce this every day yeah i have to like one one i remember it so well i was talking to a friend and he was like i can't believe the job you're doing and he (laughs) was like tomorrow you just have to write a bunch of music." and it's so easy and then i and i was like yeah but i do it every day and then mm-hmm. the next morning I, I was still working at mtv and i had an ad do, do at 4 p.m and i walk in and my mind's just empty and i'm like i have no idea what to do right no idea and it was a, so it's a you, you get scared yeah. if you think about these things yeah because of that with a feature film it's so much work yeah. and it, it looks like it never stops yeah So of course you have to grind on, is your feeling. Right. It takes a lot of, it takes experience to be like, I I know how to do it. And the thing you you just said earlier is very important to me. Sleep is so important and taking time off. And um, I have the last three years, I've been, uh, as soon as it gets busier, I start working at 5 Mm a.m. And from 5 to 9 that's four hours of writing. Okay. Nobody calls you. Yeah. <laughs> no emails. Yeah. There's nobody is on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that is all not important. Yeah. Four hours of writing. Yeah. You can do more than a ten hour. If
0: you're day. completely focused, what yeah. do you get up an hour before, have coffee, chill out, or you just get up and write to it on those days.
1: On those days, I go straight into it. Okay. And I am a big fan of actually taking my time but what i do actually is at 9 a.m i stop and then i start my morning routine oh ah. i have my coffee okay during that time yeah but at 9 a.m i stop and then i do a meditation and then okay. i do okay all of my morning stuff
0: okay interesting uh, i want to get back to that but first i'm going to pitch an idea to you about um where we might draw the line because i just came up with an idea yeah I, i'm thinking about when I first started And I was working full time Eight hours a day Like that was my I had a day job uh, Unrelated to music Which was a great thing In my opinion Because It really gave me juice To f- to go after my dreams Because I hated my day job Well I didn't hate it It was just like I didn't want to do it I, I wanted to not waste my time Doing this When I could be doing things That I felt I was really good at And that were more my calling I would get home Have dinner And at seven I would sit down at the computer And I wouldn't stop Till three in the morning I'd get four hours of sleep And then I get up, do my day job, eight hours away and sort of just (laughs) grind. That was the grind. It was getting through the day, right? And I wouldn't do it all the time. It wasn't like I'm doing this seven days a week, but it would be like, you know, a good three to four days uh, I would do that. And then some days I would just go to 10, but I'd always be working on it. The reason why I did it, was because I was so excited about doing it. I was, I was in love with the process. I wanted to learn more. Every day was a new, exciting challenge. And I was up till three because I couldn't stop doing it. I was just so excited. I think the, maybe the where you draw the line is in the beginning, you're, you're using that fuel, that passion, that excitement, that intense like, engagement with your process to, to drive you. And that's a joyous, good, healthy thing. The minute you start doing it because you're afraid, is the minute you should stop doing it and cut back on the hours and go, no, I'm not going to grind and keep going because fear is pushing me. It should always be something else. That's my pitch. What do you think?
1: Yeah, but then I would stop like from day one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really? You felt that fear was pushing you the entire time?
1: Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm very fear driven. It's, really? it's a great driver. <gasps> wow. Okay. That's interesting. Fear is driving you. What is your fear? the 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 the, the one and and it's not a great driver by the way but but um uh the imposter syndrome okay i can't tomorrow they see that i can't do this
0: yeah (laughs) you're you're trying to prove yourself over and over and over and over again getting better so that maybe at some point when the the light goes on for somebody you'll be good enough to go oh yeah i was an imposter back then but now i'm good enough actually
1: yeah it's It's that weird thing it's like we we like this project needs to be better than my last one, right it just needs to yes and and that drive is a little too strong sometimes right okay. uh <laughs> what really what really haunted me for a long time is uh with my band back in the days we were in the studio uh it was a life of the floor recording, and uh we were working with an uh, producer, a, a really love uh, slyah hedges he's very dear to my heart and he we we did a song and i hear him like you know, i hear him just push that button and you hear it on, on on your headphones and it was like how'd it go and the singer was like good and uh so Slaya was like was it good enough and the singer was like yeah it was good enough i think it's good enough let's go to the next one and then we just heard i just deleted the files good enough <laughs> good enough doesn't exist <laughs> oh my god yeah. Punishing. Wow. Okay. And um, that was a trigger for me. And I was like, good enough doesn't exist. That was a trigger for you, right? It's great or it's not.
0: Does that come from your parents, do you think? Like, is that how you were brought up? That there is a certain standard to be met. And if it's not met, it's not worth it. And you have to, you're like, who are you proving it? Like, I, was, I, I wonder if there's like a, something behind that, right? Like, who are we trying to impress? I know I'm trying to impress people constantly. Like, that's almost my number one driver, if I'm really honest about it. Like I'm always want everyone to be impressed and I want people to feel like if you say, oh, you did this, you did the right thing. You did it correctly. Like really just like per 100% very well correctly done that's the best thing for me. And I'm just on cloud nine, which is a terrible thing because it makes me a follower of rules and, and is antithetical to good innovation and pushing on things and the things that I'm actually interested in, because I'm not going to do that because people are going to go, yeah, I don't know, man, that was pretty weird. I don't know what what you did just then. And I'm like, that's tough for me to hear, right? I really want the other thing." So I'm constantly battling against that.
1: Funny enough, I figured out that, 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 I I have the same feelings. I know your feelings. But funny enough, I kind of figured out that uh, weird was good for me. Yeah. So. Right. So that so that kind of became my sure. became my, yeah. my out.
0: You figured out a way to make the thing that was the weird thing the thing you're getting praised for doing well, so that becomes correct. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. I I think about that a lot, and I'm I'm very annoyed by it. I have to admit that it exists, but I'm annoyed that I'm still basically trying to be the kid who's Parents say, "Good job, good job, son." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But I mean, yeah, and, and you want to hear that from you, like at the end of a job, you well, want yeah. to be super happy. Hundred percent. That's, that's the job you have.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'd just be nice. I mean, I guess right now I feel like I've come to a place where I accept that, I acknowledge it, and it's like a fifty. It's like fifty percent. I'm I'm doing it because I love it. I'm doing it because I'm really engaged. But I also admit that there's a huge part of it that when I get that pat on the back and they're like, oh, you made this so great for us. It was so easy. I'm like, yay, I'm a good
1: boy. (laughs) And I'm so
0: annoyed when I realize that. But it is what it is. And I think a lot of people feel that. Right. So, you know, it's we have to dig into this stuff and sort of figure it out. But um, yeah, fear, fear is a driver. I mean, it is a driver. There's no there's no doubt about it. It does drive. I feel anger is a driver. Yeah, I think I, I probably yeah. access anger more often where I'm like, I'm not, f- af- I get afraid that people aren't going to accept it or that I won't be, I'll be proven to be an imposter. And then I get angry about it because I'm like, no, I've worked way too hard for that to happen. And then the anger makes me push myself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, that's a cool circle.
0: <laughs> so the meditation practice, is that something that was, um, was that a conscious sort of? Thing that you wanted to get into to deal with things like fear and anxiety, or is that something that you were just attracted to for other reasons?
1: Um, I, 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 I struggled with some severe anxiety, and uh, that's where I learned about meditation mm. that uh, it's kind of one of the only things that helps, right? Better than medication. So that's kind of how I slowly got into meditation practices and try to find out about it. and. Um, it's 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 one of these things that it, it's really important to me, and it's also really hard, and I also often don't do it. <laughs> but it, it but it is always on on my mind.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of a practice are you trying to keep at this point?
1: Just simple breathing ex- exercises in the right. morning.
0: Okay, how long?
1: Five minutes. Okay. 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Short. Achievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even ten minutes is that's that's a bloody long time to focus on your breath. And do nothing else.
1: <laughs> yeah. With meditation music on, it's okay. a lot easier to get that. Uh, okay. If right. it's fully quiet, yeah. 30 seconds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when did you get into the whole idea of like healing sounds and sound baths uh, and your work with the big singing bowls, the crystal singing bowls? And that's another thing that people should check out on YouTube is your absolutely incredible um, healing sounds page which yeah. is what? Low, what is the low? low sound healing. Low sound healing, if you look it up on uh, YouTube. YouTube. I mean, I was trying to do research on you and I started playing these things and I just forgot everything else I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> it just became in this really like wonderfully um, you know, meditative state, which is hard for me because I find m- music that pits itself as meditation music, spa music, whatever you want to call it, inevitably there'll be a point probably within 30 seconds of the track starting i'm like that sound is really annoying oh i wish they'd eq'd that differently oh why did they have to make that melody this thing oh this is really annoying and i'm just into the production and i can't and your stuff is just like it's the perfect um it just feels like what i always want this stuff to be like it it exists it's like perpetual it it doesn't it isn't boring it, it has elements it's changing and shifting. But it just, I don't know, it locks in and it just feels really good. Thank you. So, yeah, tell me about that. How did you get into that? And and you don't, it's not just like the big crystal balls. You've got yourself locked into your modular. Yeah. So, and you've got these great videos where you're like
1: doing it. How did you get into that? It's, it's, a, it's an evolving thing. Uh, always doing ambient music. So it's kind of in that same realm. Right. Um, then I... Uh, learned that meditation was was actually really important to me so i started doing more and more meditation and uh exactly what you say i just hear the presets yeah (laughs) i'm just listening to presets yeah i'm like i cannot it's like now i'm just irritated and mad yeah (laughs) so this is not working for me right so i kind of had to make my own meditative music (laughs) and that's kind of what i started doing and we We uh, worked on a show called Mr. Tachyon, Mm -hmm. and one of the episodes was on sound healing, and I found it super fascinating. Then I went to a sound bath myself, which is basically a person with crystal balls, and you do a meditation while laying on the ground. Uh, It was groundbreaking. Like, I got up, and it was like like I was on mushrooms, and I was Mm -hmm. like, what is happening? (laughs) Right. This is really amazing. Yeah. So I got a set of crystal bowls and started playing with that and started reading up a lot and just educating myself more about the whole ideas about sound behind sound baths and I find it I just find it fascinating it, it's it's I love that that you already really like it watching the video mm-hmm. it's it's if you're in the room with the bowls it is strong like the whole room resonates mm. and your body follows mm. it's really a thing mm-hmm. uh, yeah so I I started doing that and then I thought modular makes a lot of sense <laughs> but but now I'm getting okay now we're getting into woo-woo alerts
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to put a label on that woo-woo yeah. alert everyone
1: absolutely yeah. so With a modular, what you do, like, you leave a lot open to chance. Yes. So chance makes the melody, Mm -hmm. not me. Yeah. I am a firm believer that everybody resonates. Like, resonance is everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're in a room with 10 bodies and you start playing crystal balls, I believe that the resonance of your body will get in tune with the balls. Mm-hmm. I also do believe that they will influence the machine. I think it's MIT. Okay. did uh, uh, a test with uh, random number generators. Okay, Have you ever heard about that? It's, they, 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 uh, let me explain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, a, it's a, they run random number generators and put them all over the world, and you read them out, just make it for easy, you read them out at the end of the day. If a random number generator does not zero or one, at the end of the day, yeah, 50% zero, 50% one. Right. What happened, major events on the world, 9-11 is one of these, they start syncing up. And there's a lot of tests right now with mass meditations and people that have run and run raids with them, they start syncing up, they start peaking either towards ones or towards zeros. So it's a mind over matter and matter actually is influenced by your mind. Okay. In this realm, I believe that getting the modular in this is a very interesting feedback loop between humans and machines. Okay, I see what you're
0: saying. woo -woo alert.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone is free to make
0: up their own mind about the following content. Um, Well, I mean, regardless of what you think the reasons for that are and where it comes, I mean, what we're doing as people whose main profession is to create music that assists a narrative when people are sitting in a theater and they're all watching the same thing through photons and through sound waves, we are syncing up their minds to feel the same thing more or less. We can't of course know whether everyone's having the exact same emotional response to this. It all depends on the person's individual like experiences, but more or less everyone comes out of the theater and goes, yeah, I agree. We all had this one
1: singular kind of experience. Yeah. It's exactly in the same realm. right? And, and c- cinema is always better as, an, as at home. And that's not only because of the bigger screen and the bigger sound system. Right. It's also because there's 200 other heartbeats around you. Wow. Okay. That all rise at the same time.
0: Yeah. That's interesting.
1: Huh. Is my feeling. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, uh, when women are... To- this is going to go way off the charts in terms of like what we're talking about. <laughs> but it just comes to me. When women are together, they're ovulation cycles actually start to line up yeah so like biorhythms definitely do correspond and correlate uh with the actual physical like the the performance or not performance i should say the practice of of doing the crystal i and watching you doing this one of the videos this one of them that i saw was 40 minutes long i I don't know if there's longer there's definitely shorter ones is there a is it like you know is there a practice that where you do you do it this way and these are the techniques and this is how it's done traditionally or is it kind of left up to the practitioner to figure out their own way
1: it's left up to the practitioners to find their own way.
0: How much of a physical effort is it? Like, it feels to me like, first of all, you've got your arms extended and you're moving them around. I feel like you must get shoulders that are just burning at the end of these sessions. Yeah, it does. So I noticed you're like tucked your one shoulder. You took the one arm and you sort of like held it on your other shoulder, you just sort of give it a rest for a yeah. moment. Because I'm watching you going, holy crap. Like, this is a really long time of like basically stirring two big pots.
1: It is. and uh, and uh, And of course... You got them in 12, 13, and sixteen inch, and I was like, "The sixteen inch sounds great, <laughs> but it's heavy.
0: <laughs> it's right. very heavy." Right. Yeah. So it takes more effort to resonate it. You have yeah, to it push does. harder. Yeah. Yeah. You, oh it wow, does.
1: that's so amazing. It's huh. little, It's a, Yeah. It, it's it's uh, it can be heavy for if you do it for a long time, but when you, you get into a meditative state yourself. Right. Okay. I was, that was so going
0: to sort of be my next question. This is like you get you lose yourself in that. Yeah. And, and you're just and I guess that's almost like whatever state you're getting into creates the next. Uh, moment for that, whatever that uh, improvisational thing is going to be next.
1: Yeah. I have, I have no, like I, I let myself go. I have no idea what the next ball is and why or what it's like, as soon as you start painting, the painting tells you what to do. Yeah. That. Yeah.
0: Are right. We're going to switch gears now. Um, what is a documentary is a very interesting question that we've talked about a few times in the past and uh, you've mentioned a couple of things. Uh, one of them specifically, Bacon and God's Wrath, which is a film you worked on. And there's just... I uh, want you to sort of like describe a little bit about what the film is about and, and sort of your thoughts on how music works and what, this, what the story is and how people are responding to that. And just the whole idea of like... Because you, you have a lot of documentary experience. You've done tons of stuff. Um, everything from independent shorts to like The Solo Hustle on HBO. Um, how, what's your What's your sort of like... Uh, experience with that and, and how do you think about documentary?
1: First, how do I think about documentary? I I love documentary. It just, it, for some weird reason, I feel that you get a lot of freedom with the documentary, mm. musically. Yeah, it's that. You, you get a lot of freedom. Also, you get to talk to the to the director and you end up speaking for hours and hours and hours about this film. Mm-hmm. By the time you're done, you know so much about this subject. And I'm always getting interested in it as well. So you start doing your own research. And it's it's such an amazing way of working. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you figure out it's like, oh, this is... They only could cram this in this hour and a half. But then there's all this other footage. And there's all these other side stories that are actually really important. But they never were able to make it in this hour and a half film schedule.
0: Yeah. The documentary as, as, a, as a form has changed a lot. I think uh, I'm going to sort of suggest that perhaps like around the Michael Moore era of like Bowling for Columbine that things became slightly different because I think documentary before that was very dry, uh, mostly just like here's a bunch of information. Um, yeah. Now documentaries tend to be more poetic. They tend to take more license. There's a lot more space and and an experience that someone yeah. might go through. Now there's documentary film festivals that are, you know, you're really going there for a very different experience and it's often very narrative, very emotional, very heightened. Yeah. And that's, that's changed our perception. I wonder if, if, you know, what we've been talking about in the past, I wonder if, if your regular film goer, anyone who's just sort of popping on to Netflix on a Saturday night to watch a doc that they're interested in, if they think about the fact that so much of this is an invention and, and, and is guided and, and intended to make you think about something in a certain way.
1: I think people don't think about that. I I have a feeling that 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 uh, because of the murder mystery hype, people started watching documentaries a lot more. Right. You know okay. You know I mean? Yeah. But people s- seem to see documentaries as truth. I feel mm. a lot. Yeah. Even I do that actually. Mm. <laughs> um And yeah, it, 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 what we've talked about is like it's pretty fascinating where uh, where does truth stop and starts and stop and uh, as soon as you take one edit in conversation, is it, is, it, is it that same conversation? Is it mm-hmm. true to that? It's very intriguing to see wh- where things are going. And, and I, I, uh, for Bacon and God's Wrath, what you just mentioned, is that like one of the things in that documentary that I love, this is a short doc um, about a 90-year-old Jewish woman that eats bacon for the first time in her life. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic starting point already. Mm. Um, but she tells these stories and these stories become animations. So it becomes animated, but the animations follow what she's saying, but they go way further, and that's 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 where it's like a, it's a very interesting thing. It's like she tells a story, you see, kind of the same story, but way more extreme. Yeah, and all this shit happens that she doesn't say, but she did not say it. She did not not say not, it. Not not say it. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Uh, so now you planted that in the mind of the. Watcher and it's right. uh, done on purpose and yeah. and it's done with fun and uh, yeah it's it's intriguing. Do you
0: uh, are you do you ever feel uncomfortable about your role in supporting whatever truth or whatever version of the truth or whatever uh, message or mandate is being presented by a documentary? Because you really are. I think music has that magical power of like you know you can make a statement, but if you make a statement with this incredibly like rousing music behind it, all of a sudden it has this import and, and, and grandeur that it didn't have before. And you go, well, it must be true and important and I must
1: follow this now. A hundred percent. I could not work on, on a documentary that, that I don't believe in the outcome. Okay. It is, that's a really important.
0: Right. So your ethics have to align with the message of the documentary.
1: It does. A hundred percent. Otherwise I would not do it. Right. Yeah. But sometimes it can be a learning process. Okay. Yeah, I I just worked on a documentary uh, called Paved Paved Paradise. Um, And it's about how organic farms need way more space to to produce the same amount of food. Mm. Because of that, they take a lot of land away from animals. Because of that, there's less biodiversity. Mm. So is organic the way to go? Or should you go... (laughs) on a very small plot, very high-density farming. Right. It's, it's a mind-blowing question. And right. It's, it's very interesting to come out of this documentary and being like, no, organic is pretty evil. <laughs> but I always thought that that was the way to go. Right. But is it? Yeah. That was one of these moments where, where where it was like, it was amazing to be to learn a new thing and be like, oh my God, this is very interesting. And I totally stand behind what you're saying but a year ago i would have found it highly offensive <laughs>
0: <laughs> very problematic you know I, I don't know who said it but there was some statement that was made recently like we're living in a post truth society i feel like we're almost living in a post conviction society where it's like you know if we were really honest about everything we'd say oh that's interesting idea i don't know what the answer is i don't know i don't know if this is the right thing or the wrong thing it's interesting like let's see where it heads like how do you make cuz that is i mean Document, I've watched so many things, I'm like, I mean, regardless, like my wife is watching Dope Sick on, uh, on Disney Plus right now, which is about the OxyContin and oh. the, the gen- in general, the um, prescription uh, painkiller epidemic, and yeah. yeah. opioid epidemic in the state specifically, which is just a tremendous tragedy. Um, and, you know, I'm, th- I'm watching this thing. I find it too hard to watch. I mean, I, I it's almost there are certain times when I'm watching things, I'm like. This is preaching to the choir. I don't need to know these things. I already know how terrible it is. If there was anything I could do, I'd be doing it. If I could vote on these things, if I was an American, of course I would do that as well. I don't know if I need to put myself through this, to put myself in this really dark place. But I wonder. Like I think about this, and I go, you know what? The for anyone that doesn't know and that wants to watch a, a drama and is like, oh, I'm curious about this. This will change their minds. This will affect people in a way that will really change the lines of voting It will change the way that people maybe take action on certain things or feel about certain things that they didn't know about before.
1: Yeah, documentary is, is, a, is a very strong voice for people. Yeah,
0: Is that an important thing for you when you're working on your own personal work or if you're choosing a project to work on? Do you, is there a consideration of, I want what I'm doing to have an impact? Do you think that way?
1: Yeah. No. no. I'd love to what I'm doing. That it has an impact. Right. And I feel often enough, projects that I work on do have things to say. I think because of the style that I write and that Joseph and I write, it, uh, because it's more, because it's, it's, it's non conventional, I feel, the directors that, that, that pick up the phone and call us are, also have, have a path. Yeah. And we don't get a call for movie of the week.
0: <laughs> I'd love to watch that one though where you guys attacked that. That's great. So what you're finding now is that you guys have developed your own style and and have made a strong enough statement about what you do and how you do it that you're now being found with people where when the call comes you know it's going to be aligned for the most part.
1: Yeah, it's almost always. Wow. It is aligned. Yeah. 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 But also the call comes from somebody that you know. Like okay. nobody Google's composer. <laughs> like, I hope not. Like that's not the person that I want to talk. Right. To. Yeah. Right, you know what yeah. I mean. So we're working in a niche that is like directors that talk to each other that have seen our work. Yeah. It's it's just because of the <laughs> if you work a decent amount of years. Yeah. That will narrow itself in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, what's been obsessing you lately in the realm of art in the realm of what you've been working on personally in
1: Music, visual art, movies. I just got a three and a half month old baby, so that's uh, that's everything. That's the, that's the current art project. <laughs> it's, it's a great art project. Yeah, takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's uh, a real commitment. It, it's a great hobby. Yeah, that and uh, because of that, we uh, I'm I'm more thinking about the music that I'm listening to. Mm. So it's, I don't know why, but I have this thing when we're together, I'm like, what else can I show you? So you're being, you're creating,
0: you're curating uh, your playlist for your child. Yeah, yeah. Right. And
1: it's been... And I have no idea why. But now, <laughs> it's been a lot of metal. It's been Mushaga.
0: Okay, uh, right. That. So it's not all like gentle stuff and maybe something a little more, you know, erudite than Baby Shark. But you're like going like, let's go the full breadth and width of it.
1: Yeah. Okay. I think music... And I heard somebody saying music is a language. Okay. So a baby... Multilingual learns, baby. A baby... No, not multilingual, but a baby learns by the sounds yeah. what it is. Yeah. So I think... The broader of escape of music to give to the baby, the 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 more open it will be, hopefully. We'll see. I, I have no idea.
0: I can't imagine that it, that could backfire. That seems like a great approach. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's really interesting. So that's that's the big thing that's changed is you're, you're sort of like what you're introducing to your kid is, is become important to you. So yeah. you're selecting things based on that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Long-term art project, minimum 18 years, maybe... A longer. longer? <laughs> <I hope so. laughs> you think your kid's going to get into music, or, or what? What would you imagine you would like to see for them in the future?
1: I have thought about that. I have no idea. I don't care.
0: Okay. I really don't just care. Just as long as they're happy, I
1: guess. Yeah, just be a be a happy little man, and uh, and 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 we'll see. I, I I I I can't wait. I can't wait till he gets older and we're hanging here together. Yeah. Make music. Nice. And that kind of stuff. That yeah. will, that inevitably that will happen. Yeah. And maybe he will hate it. Great. We're <laughs> up there. Dad, I've decided to become a lawyer. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Most likely. Well, as long as it's entertainment law,
0: then I guess I'm fine <laughs> with it. <laughs> Amazing. So what's next for you? What are you working on now in terms of projects and stuff?
1: Right now, I'm just in that perfect time of in between two jobs. So right. I'm just, taking a breather. Great. And I think next month uh, we'll be starting on uh, a new season for Digstown and uh, a new series called Robin Hood done by director X. Uh, I think it's going to be an amazing series.
0: That yeah. looks that looks really incredible. Where do you know where that's Digstown's on CBC, right?
1: Dickstown is on CBC. Uh,
0: Robin Hood, do you know where that's going to play? I have I don't know yet. Okay. No. People can also find your stuff on Netflix right now. I think The Void is on Netflix and Level 16? Yeah, level 16s on yeah. Netflix as well, yeah. so you can find your work there. Uh, and work can people follow you online? Are you on active on social media? I know you post on Instagram every once in a while.
1: I post on Instagram. That's yeah. the most uh, that's my name L O D E W I J K V.
0: Amazing. Well, Lo, this has been super fun. Thank you. Uh, yeah. thanks for taking the time and it's been great hanging out in your amazing studio. What a great vibe to do this uh, talk and And wishing you all the best for the future, man. Thanks.
1: All right. Okay.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support us by giving the show a five-star rating and sharing the episodes and tagging us at Screen Composers. We'd love to hear from you, so drop us a line at tscs at screencomposers.ca. For more information on the SCGC, please visit www.screencomposers.ca and follow us online at Screen Composers. The Screen Composers studio is produced by myself, Adrian Ellis. Editing, graphics, audio, and video post-production by Nick Grimshaw. Special thanks to our Managing Director, Tanya Dedrick, as well as the SOCAN Foundation for financial support.